Good morning, everyone. I am all office houred out. Uh, this has been an incredible week. We've been filming the Office Hours TV show, and now I'm back with uh, two of my co-hosts, friends, and mentors, learn.blainbartlett.com forward slash LMM. That's the Blaine Bartlett mindset mastermind, and he's the man. And Mikey Diamond, muted, maybe frozen, but uh, he's here with us as well. Uh, but more importantly, we have our friend Sandeep all the way from New Delhi. Uh, Sandeep Agarwal is the founder and CEO of an upcoming IPO, an unbelievable entrepreneur and an author, uh, Fall Again, Rise Again, uh, which came out in October during the pandemic. Uh, and uh, I assume there in India, as here in the United States, the pandemic is still continuing on. Is that true, Sandeep? That's right. Uh... Uh, first of all, David, thank you for having me. Yes, uh, pandemic, you know, we were patting our back that the country did a good job handling the first wave. But I think we we fall falter uh, on a second wave. Uh, luckily, the peak of second wave is behind us. I live in New Delhi and we have, you know, like kind of low single digit cases now per day. So. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Good. But yeah. it applies to your book, right? Rise Again, Fall Again. <laughs> That's right. That, I mean, it applies to most of the things in life we experience. So, but yes. Uh, well, give us a little bit of background as the Rise Again, Fall Again entrepreneur that everyone is. As you said, it applies to life, but it especially applies to entrepreneurs, at least the good ones. Uh, the good ones will always rise again uh, and they will fall again because they're willing to risk everything to the greater good and the greater achievement. Um, for you, what was that st story and journey of Rise Again, Fall Again? Yeah, sure. So, David, I actually, in my mid-20s, I, I was born and raised in India. Uh, unlike so many of my peer group who still had a lot of knowledge about U.S., without internet also, they all were fans of Michael Jackson to Elvis Presley and Oprah Winfrey, you name it. But somehow... I was a clueless. I did not know United States other than that it's our world's number one country, richest country. I could recognize the flag. In my late, in my mid-20s, when the dot-com boom is happening, when AOL, Yahoo, and MSN and the you know internet is going to change the world, that time I comes, I come to United States as a student, goes to St. Louis in Midwest. I had no idea. What is Midwest? What is West Coast? What is East Coast? How culturally it is different? I remember in the beginning, every time I'll go to New York, someone will say, where are you studying? And I'll say St. Louis and I'll get some looks. And I never understood that for so many years. Right. <laughs> so, so I came to I came to St. Louis that year. Rams won the, you know, the World Cup and we were all celebrating. Dotcom was at its boom. I th somehow thought this is not new for United States. Maybe every time some new industry comes. Anyhow, I was very fascinated by the internet. Uh, I started working with my professor who was doing a lot of early stage research on internet. Uh, graduated from there, got a job with Charles Schwab in San Francisco. I was personally hired by Chuck Schwab. He was he's among the 50 richest people, uh, right? And founder, legendary founder of Charles Schwab. Uh, and uh, Five days after I started my job, 9-11 happened and dot-com bust had already started happening. So this was my first fall. Like I used to every day coming, you know, I come, I used to come back home from work 
and used to check how much is a United Airlines flight back from San Francisco to New Delhi because I thought I'm going to lose my job and will inherit 300,000 student loan and go back to India. Somehow I survived. The company had 26,000 employees. And by the time I left my own terms uh, and economy had already started becoming better, they had 12,000 employees, but somehow they never, uh, uh, they never fired me. Today I know why they not fired me because, you know, but that time I did not know my strength as a you know, first time immigrant in US. Also, just wanted to highlight, uh, you know, unlike, you know, for, for an Indian, knowing English is not a big deal. I mean, we were, we were ruled by Britishers for 200 years, uh, right? So, you know, but I was very shy. I was very introvert. I had not much of command in, on English. So uh, as, I, as I doing my higher studies, I did have my share of struggle, but somehow things started working out. Uh, you know, graduated was one of the first one to get the job, but 9-11 happened, dot-com bust happened. And uh, so life had its own topsy-turvy curve. Four years later, I ended up actually changing my job, went to Microsoft, had an opportunity to work with the top leadership team in the Microsoft's headquarters in Redmond, Washington. Uh, there, I did a good job, earned a name. A friend of mine who worked on Wall Street, he said, Sandeep, uh, you know, the kind of work you do at Microsoft, I think you should come and work on Wall Street. And I had a bad memories of how my friends were losing their jobs out of business school uh, from all the legendary investment banks when dot-com bus was happening. And uh, somehow I still dare to, to took a job with Wall Street. Actually did very well. I became an internet analyst. So I covered companies like Google, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Expedia, Priceline, Yahoo, Amazon for living. And I used to be on CNBC, Fox News, uh, coming on the week and, you know, talking about all these internet stocks. Uh, life was great. I was ranked among the top three internet analysts by Bloomberg Financial Times. Uh, and then what happened in 2010, one tiny company out of India, which was like Expedia for India, went public. So I thought, wait a minute, you know, internet has been around for 17 years. I never thought it is big deal for India. Now here is a company which is going public in United States. That means maybe internet is ready for prime time. So I came to India and I decided to write a research report very similar to how Mary Meeker started writing report on India on US internet in 1994-95-96. And while writing that report, uh, I realized that why I'm just writing a research report when I have an opportunity to create Amazon or Alibaba of India. So one day on Father's Day 2011, I left my full-time job, which paid me almost a million dollars. I used to be on a TV, used to hang around with from Mark Zuckerberg to Steve Jobs, a very satisfying job. I came with a one-way ticket in first time in 15 years back to India to start my first venture called shopclues.com, which was going to be like Amazon or Alibaba. We were the 35th e-commerce company that time. I raised, uh, you know, I got an offer from one of the very top, top tier venture capital firm. I will save them some shame and will not name them. But they gave me a 5 million offer. I sold my house. I sold my cars. I made four other people to resign from their job and convince them to move to India with me. And that offer of 5 million went away before we took a flight. 
so every one of us were without home without job without cars i sent everyone back to india stayed there raised 2 million from my 15 friends someone gave me 50000 dollars someone gave me 200000 came to india started shop loose and david actually we got lucky within first four, fourth year of operation we became a billion dollar company for for that time the fastest to become a billion dollar company and we spent least amount of time uh, money to reach billion dollar so life was great i was like literally i thought uh, we have arrived this company will go public and i had started thinking we maybe in los altos hills or somewhere i'll buy my house and will eventually come back to beautiful bay area now from here the the my life changes completely so <clears throat> i in united states with my ex wife and two of my kids for our vacation i i i went to i took my kids to seaward in san diego i went to disney i went to napa valley one day i was coming back from cheesecake factory after lunch and my my cousin is driving the car he's pulling the car in his drive driveway and all of a sudden 10 cars from fbi comes and surround us and they are asking very similar to this scene i had only seen in the hollywood movies before and they are asking who is sandeep agarwal and i said i am sandeep agarwal and he said sir you are arrested i said why and they said you when you were wall street analyst you gave insider information to someone and you are you are you are you you know there's a arrest warrant against it anyhow they arrested me put me overnight in a cell next day morning presented me to in front of a judge my wife that time looked like had a blood red eyes it looked like that she had not slept for months right and she said we are we are finished you are all over the newspaper everyone knows you got arrested and our life is gone right anyhow i could not even connect dots what was going on i only remember public prosecutors were telling judge to put me in jail and judge was saying if he is if he is danger to the society i'll put him in a jail otherwise i'm going to give him a bail and then you can pursue your case so anyhow so within the same month when i was i saw that my company is becoming billion dollar i had everything a 15 years of investment came to zero i had to stay in united states for next 14 months by myself last 5 months actually i stayed in extended home america paying 80 dollars per day i actually had to i did not see my wife or kids or my parents for 14 months i was in us uh Uh, dealing with the regulators i became a cooperating witness i had a a plea bargain with them 14 months later i came to india came back to india had to step down from my company which already became a billion dollar and started my current company drum from scratch in the backdrop of a legal high profile case and my legal uh, case that time was uh, basically i was waiting for the sentencing so now david uh, i build a company now thing is if you have created a billion dollar company anywhere in the world i think investors will want to team up with you left right and center but in my case i had a pending criminal law case against me so i had given i was one of the unique person in terms of creating india's fourth ever unicorn still most investors will not touch me but the glass half full is someone believed in me and they gave money and i started building drum four years later i was able to make that also another billion dollar company 
although i never got a very big check very large investors never came because more than they were always they liked me they liked my passion they liked my energy but they had too much of reputation risk to handle uh and then uh and then uh, 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 david what happened one day all of sudden i heard from my lawyers in new york that department of justice actually has decided to dismiss and drop all charges against me as if they never occurred so so for 6 years my legal case was pending i had to resign from a company i built billion dollar as a first time entrepreneur i actually also during that during my legal case my marriage stopped working so i like like literally i had to go through a divorce uh, from a woman i loved immensely and was married for two decades but then i created another billion dollar company and that time i got a good news so this is where david i decided to write my story in a book called fall fall again rise again it has been a best selling book available on amazon also in us with kindle and audible and if the god is kind i don't make stupid mistakes i think just is a matter of time doom will be a public company hopefully on nasdaq that's an amazing story sandeep it it truly is and you know what strikes me is uh, a couple of things about it in in one is just your perseverance i mean uh, you, you just yeah current reality doesn't define who i am and it doesn't define my success in life yeah it's just something right. that is right now Yeah, so I, yeah. yeah. No, uh, so by the way, I mean, you know, look, when I was arrested by FBI, next six months I lived in trauma, right? I was, I was in a situation called "Why me?" Right? I was in a self-pity state. But one day I woke up and I said, the worst thing human being can do is being into self-pity and miserable. And I pushed back and I said, you know, a lot of things. I had a significant collateral damage. maybe it was meant to happen like this but at mm-hmm. least i'm alive i can think straight my hands and my legs are working and maybe i should just focus on my karma and that's how i kind of bounce back and sandeep you know i i definitely want to have you back on uh, my podcast and some other shows to get a little bit more in depth uh i wasn't <clears throat> quite prepared for such an extraordinary story um but the one thing that holds true before we uh get to our green room guests you know it's amazing because i deal with this all the time when you have an inner belief a confidence you know as an analyst as a successful uh you know celebrity in some respects uh and then to build a billion dollar company uh they can never take that away from you right so you know one of the things uh even if you're from why me to try me uh that you know and i'm someone who lost everything you know over 100 million dollars myself that's right uh, and you know n- know what it feels like but the one thing i could go back to was my inner belief in myself and those who lack the confidence of knowing what they already are regardless of the external st- circumstances uh we were with sad guru this week and you know misery or joy exists outside of us no no and- absolutely david you put it very beautifully i think that uh that innate belief in yourself and knowing what other things nobody can take away from you i think those become a building block especially when you are kind of down and under let let let's get a question real quick just curious and then i'm going to have you back on the podcast and i'm sure blaine probably wants to have more uh, to do as well but sandeep 
did, did you reconcile with your wife when everything was dropped? Uh, no, actually, you know, yes, see, uh, uh, David, yes and no. Uh, I mean, you know, she was my kind of, you can say, high school crush. We were we got married very early and we met in a school. When I moved to U.S. as a student, I was already married. You know, when we were going through divorce, I think we were enemy number one. So, so you know, uh, bad news is we are divorced. Good news is we, I think we are good friends. Oh, right? very good. So, so that is and kids are happy. I can't wait to reconcile ourselves into another interview. Uh, we appreciate you. What a great story. I can't wait to learn more. Make sure you check out Fall Again, Rise Again. I am sure you'll have another grand IPO with Room. Very familiar with the company, building the automobile marketplace that you have. You're an extraordinary entrepreneur. Uh, I think the book is just the start. This may be better than The Greatest Showman. Uh, and we'll put it we'll put it to music yeah. even just the same way maybe uh <laughs> very yeah. good thank you for joining thank us you. off this hours thank you sandeep thank you what guys thank you for having you great yeah. interview thank you all right <laughs> you know that's, yeah, that's that. a perfect example david of uh you know how you build sustainable success in life you develop the capacity to continuously start over and, and, yeah. and that if there's a secret sauce that's it and I think, you know, just I, I know everybody, you know, shits on education right now uh, because but they're really not. They're, 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 you know, looking down on the way that we get educated, the, the formal yeah. 1950s structure. Uh, but one of the things even in the, you know, the religious culture I grew up in is they can't take away your, your, your education. Right? They can't take. No. And it's such a strong you can do whatever you want to me, but you, yeah. you can't take away what's in here. You can't take away what's in here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, that uh, one of my favorite stores, actually, uh, you know, someone who owned a golf course, someone who thinks the master is the greatest sporting event ever created. Randy <laughs> Peich is the COO of PGA Tour Superstore. Have you ever been in the PGA Tour Superstore? It, it's, it's a bigger time suck uh, for the benefit of PGA Superstore than TikTok. Uh, if you're a, a golf fan, uh, you know, my, my, my it's, wife will it's sit It's the up. Cabela's of golf. It is. Yeah, Cabela's. I mean, I say, I, I, I tell my wife, hey, I'm going to run over to the, to the, just, you know, for a few minutes over there. And uh, the afternoon goes by and I come back. It's like, where are you? <laughs> you know, I, I, got lost. I got lost. I got lost. All the cool stuff. Um, what a great, what a great business. And uh, what a great career, Randy, you've had as well. Um, you know, uh, Hopefully it's not the same type of journey as our friend uh, Sandeep earlier. I don't know if you caught any of that. Um, I, I did catch that. It's a it's a little bit of a different journey for me, but uh, you're not alone, David, in that uh, enjoying our store to the degree that you do. Yeah, and I know many of my friends too. So, uh, but you have your own journey and your own lessons as well, and so I would love for you to share that journey and you know some of the lessons that you've learned uh, to be the CEO of one of my favorite and many, many others' favorite store. Yeah, so first of all, thank you both for, uh, for having me on the show. Uh, it's great to be here. And, um, and yes, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been an amazing uh, time for us in the golf industry in general, uh, just because of the growth and the, the surge in the game that I don't think anybody really expected um, during COVID. But, uh, but it's, really, it's really put a little, uh, a little spark in, in, in our game with uh, almost 6 million people playing golf either for the first time or for the first time in a long time. So uh, mm -hmm. 3 million new people and another 3 million that haven't played in several years. So 
it's nice to see people coming into the game and coming back to the game from all different backgrounds. Uh, but uh, going into my background, yes, I've been, um, you know, I, I, what we do every single day, um, as you see when you go into our stores and taking care of customers, I've, I've lived my whole life uh, basically doing that. Um, my, when I was three years old, my, my dad took his life savings and bought a little motel in South Florida. And um, our entire lives, we lived on the property. Everything was about taking care of our guests and everything's about the guest and what can we do for the guest. And even as a little kid, hey, don't misbehave around the guests. It's all about the guests. And how do we do things to make their experience better at this little motel competing with all the big chains, right? So, so that, that's kind of lived my, my entire life, figuring out how to make people's experience better. And that's exactly what we do here is to say, how do we elevate that experience, right? So for a while, when Amazon first came on the scene and people were saying, okay, retail's gonna be dead, right? No one's gonna need to go into a store anymore because it's all about Amazon, right? And so uh, for, for us, right, a lot of what we do is very hands-on, whether we're regripping clubs or whether we're giving a lesson or whether we're fitting someone for equipment that they need to feel and touch and experience on their own. Um, that's part of it. So how do we elevate all of those things in the in this age and not just try to sell people something, but try to create an experience so that they're in there for the experience. And David, when you go into our store and you spend 45 minutes, we honestly don't even care if you spend money or not, right? We want you to have a great experience and we want your game to be better, right? And if, if your game being better means you spend money on clubs, that's great. But if it's not, that's great too, right? So, so we, we, we always Randy, say we want to be in the relationship business and not in the transaction business. So, Randy, what you're telling what you're telling me is I, I did not have to lose 120 million dollars owning my own golf course. I could have just went to the PGA Superstore. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly yeah, right. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> the dummy tax. The dummy tax, David. It's coming oh, back here. <laughs> I'm making the wrong. I'm, just, I'm, I'm really yeah intrigued here the yeah yeah you've tripled the brick and mortar footprint of, of uh the store and, and and to your point about yeah retail is dead um i mean this kind of flies in the face of common wisdom yeah quote unquote um and i'm, I'm really intrigued about how you manage to leverage that and, and i've got a hunch in what you know, where your answer might be in terms of the experience focus that you have here but i yeah I, I'd, I'd like to yeah, just have you unbundle that just a little bit, both in terms of the growth strategy around that, because you've got an e-commerce site as well. Absolutely. Um, but, but tripling the, 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 the physical footprint. And, and how do you keep um, people coming back? And, and, and I know that that's embedded in the, in the focus on experience, but there's right. a difference between satisfaction and loyalty. And you've got loyal customers. I mean, David's a great example of that. Exactly. So that this is a great question and a lot to unpack. So I started with the company back in November of 2011. So I'm, I'm coming on my 10 year anniversary here and we were just opening store number 12. And a couple of weeks here, we're about to open store number 47. Right. So it's a tremendous amount of growth um, over that period. And, and specifically in the last few years, as you mentioned, we've tripled the store count um, and we're doing that because of demand, right? We're doing that to give people that experience, but we're obviously a very growth-based company as well. As you guys know, our, our owner is uh, Arthur Blank, who knows a thing or two about growing a retail company. 
Um, at one point, the Home Depot was was growing, um, was building a store every 48 hours they were opening a store, right? So it's crazy to think that there's that kind of growth um, and our industry is a little bit different, but uh, but it all started, it goes back to what we were talking about before, um, that in-store experience. And you mentioned e-commerce, our e-commerce business is phenomenal as well. We, we have... We have grown sales in e-commerce um, at a record level over the last two years. Um, I'm sorry, dark here. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> 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 like. I'm sitting too still, I guess. But uh, but we have gr- we've grown e-commerce business as well as uh, as brick and mortar business, and and part of that is is just and our traffic has increased in both of those channels. So a lot of times when you hmm. grow e-commerce your traffic goes down in the stores. We've actually grown both of those channels and uh, and it's been really, you know, you hear the term omni-channel um, mm-hmm. and we've really put a lot of effort into that. We put, uh, you know, we did, we have Salesforce now to, to run our e-commerce site. Uh, we've done a lot of investments on the back end to make the seamless omni-channel that all retailers really talk about, how, how that's seamless, whether it's a special order, whether you're buying online or picking up in store. We launched uh, something during uh, COVID in 48 hours. We launched a curbside service, which a lot of restaurants and others did that as well. Uh, we had to do that because of demand and because uh, in a lot of areas, people weren't even allowed in our stores. So uh, we couldn't take care of customers. So we set things up on the curb and we, we did the best we could to uh, to bring their, their stuff to the curb. But everything, um, everything we do it, it's you mentioned the word satisfaction for us satisfaction is way down here right so yeah. if you're good. satisfied that's good that's okay that's a good yeah. starting point for us but we want surprise we want delight we want inspiration we want somebody to walk out and say they're like how many times have you guys been in a store and said that was a great experience right like you don't you don't say that 99 times out of 100 but we want to be that one time that you walk out and say, I'm never going anywhere else because of that experience I had. And uh, I'm, I'm in one of our Orlando stores today and you know, I've, got a, I've got a stack of customer letters um, to, to share with the team here that just said, hey, when I, when I did this in the Altamont Springs store in Orlando, here's what this, this person did for me. You're not gonna believe how they went above and beyond to make sure that I got my order in time or I was playing in a tournament or I needed my club regripped in 30 minutes because I was running out the door to do this or uh, we did charitable work that, that this store did and, and that they gave thousands of dollars to my charity so that we could help support this children's charity that we're, we're working with. Those are the kind of things that go a long way and it goes back to what I was saying about developing those relationships, right? So it's all about, our, our whole business is about people more than anything. Right. It's about the people that we hire because we're only as good as those people. But it's also about the the interaction between them and and our customers. Right. And so, you know, anybody can say, hey, do you have that in stock? Yes. Here you go. Go to the register and ring it out. Well, that's satisfaction. Right. I got what I wanted and now I'm on my way. Right. But delight is to give them a little something extra. And how do how do we go about doing those things? So so those are the kind of things that that we really push ourselves to do and the money that we spend on training is probably double or triple what our competitors spend um, and part of it is just that it's not just training on being experts i mean yeah. again that's a minimum we have to be product experts people shouldn't come into this door and know more about 
golf clubs than our associates do, right? So we have to spend that, but what are we spending on them giving the right experience as well? See, that's a, I love that mindset, that mindset, just developing that, that mindset of just being in service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's what it's all about. And, and you know, like it's 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 very difficult today because things are um, things are tough out there. You you guys know all about the supply chain constraints that are going on and the fact mm -hmm. that something that used to take, you know, if, if a special order used to take a week and now it takes six to eight weeks because of supply constraints, you know, how are we dealing with customers with that? Right. That's a negative experience. How do we turn that into a positive one? Uh, how do we make it better for them? We've, uh, in certain cases, we have repair areas where we're pulling components back into repair areas and building clubs for customers that, that don't want to wait. We're, we're doing things completely out of the ordinary, but those are the things that you have to do in order to get them to come back, right? No, nobody wants to hear no. We try, not, we try to never say no, right? If somebody comes in here and says, I want a free set of irons off the wall, our associates are told not to say no to that. Let me go ask my manager, right? There's only one person that can say no, and he or she shouldn't say it, uh, you know, one time out of a thousand, right? So occasionally you have to say no, but we like to say yes to everybody that comes in, right? Nobody wants to come in and be told no to in any business. Awesome. Well, I would uh, appreciate a new set of irons. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was going to raise my hand on that as well. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. Um, but, but Randy, I think, you know, as I, I let you go, but, and I will have you back as well, because there's so, you know, obviously my last quote, I think when I left your store was, I love this place uh, as if I left Top Golf, you know, after three drinks. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's <laughs> something to be said. But I think what makes it interesting is, you know, at the highest hospitality uh, resorts where they're trained to walk you to the elevator to, you know, in Louis, in Louisiana, the home of hospitality in new Orleans, they call it land yap, right? A little bit, something extra, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what amazes me from someone who's run big businesses is it's great to have all the extra training. It's great to talk the talk. Uh, but the real trick is when you can get the buy-in, uh, from, the person at the register or the person that's walking the floor, uh, you know, the managers, the higher paid employees, but when you can get the, the entry level positions to not only believe and learn, but, but actually to practice it, then, you know, you have a true system, a true experience that, uh, transcends the business itself. And there's no surprise, uh, you know, Arthur Blake being a old time friend since Lee Steinberg and our first, our, our first client at least Steinberg was the famous quarterback at Atlanta. So, uh, Arthur, uh, who's just amazing. I know that's how he built home Depot as well on customer service in the execution of it. Uh, congratulations. Cause that's an accomplishment for such a big company. Well, thank you so much. And, and it's really, um, it's really living our values as well. And I, I think yep. what you're saying is absolutely true. How, how do you get someone that you're paying $15 an hour, to come in and and ring out customers to buy into what what we're saying and it's really one of our core values and you know core values everybody has them some of them hang on the wall and you never hear about them again we right. actually celebrate and live those values and one of those is listen and respond and that goes with our associates as well and we we take a when when you get a survey as an associate right oh i'm going to fill out this survey no one's ever going to listen well we actually listen and we say Here's what you said in the survey, and here's what we're doing about it. So I think 
just the fact that we listen to what our associates are saying and saying you like our, our CEO says all the time that 99% of our good ideas come out of our stores, right? Sometimes it makes people in our office upset when he says that, but he says that because this is where the action happens. This is where the interaction is. We like to think that we're an inverted pyramid organization, right? Where the CEO is at the bottom and the person closest to the customer is at the top. So we put great value in what our associates tell us about how we make their job better. And I think the fact that we listen to them and that we can prove over time that we're hearing what they're saying and we're making changes based on their recommendations, it gives everybody in our company buy-in to what we're doing. And it's not just, hey, management said to do this, so we gotta do this. It's, this is our company and these are our decisions. And that, that helps create the environment where everybody's bought in. And we do that at, the, at a store level where an individual store kind of functions as a team as well as an as a overall company level. And it, it really helps, but you have to prove that to people. You can't just yeah. say, we're gonna listen and we're gonna do what you say. They have to see over time that you're actually doing what you say you're gonna do. And if you can prove that over time, that's, that's the Arthur Blank mentality is listen to what customers say, listen to what your associates say, and then respond in a way that's going to make both of them happy. Yeah, that's why Steve Wynn hangs out with the bellhops more than anybody else to learn <clears throat> what the customers need. Yeah. Randy Peich, thank you so much. COO of PGA Tour Superstore. He'll see yeah. me in one wherever I'm traveling, yeah, whenever yeah. I have a few extra moments. So thank you for providing me such a great experience. Hey, thank you guys thank you, for having me on and uh, really appreciate all your support. You got it, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, All yeah. right. From you talk about yeah, <clears throat> this book that we wrote over here, David, Compassionate Capitalism. <clears throat> that is exactly what Randy was describing here. That is a compassionate capitalist at work. And this is what it looks like when it's done well. Yeah. And I've been blessed to be around Arthur Blank since I was a young executive yeah. working for Lee Steinberg. And uh, it's no doubt, you know, uh, the, the fish is either rotten or, or tasty from the... From the <clears throat> Down, head back and uh you know that bottom up uh, strategy well we have uh one final guest here on the digital version of office hours uh it's uh really inspiring is. me as i was office hour out after all the episodes for tv for bloomberg that we're doing and it was really great to see you in person though it's a whole different species isn't it uh ted yes. oakley founding and managing partner <clears throat> of oxbow advisors uh he has almost more experience than I've been alive uh, in a very, very important space. Uh, but as well, of course, helping so many children along the way. Talk about compassionate capitalists. This guy's an icon. We could put him on the cover of our book, Blaine. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I want to start with the principles, the Oxbow principles, because I think, you know, in my life, when my wife made me take stock in who I was and create these principles that I was going to live by, my entire life changed because I had guideposts and baselines to make good decisions. Um, where over the years, Ted, <clears throat> have you come up with these principles and, and what are they? Well, <clears throat> David, thanks. Uh, most of the, the principles we have really, uh, most of the work we do is with people that have a liquidity effect. Either they sold a business, we have some athletes or people in a second generation inherit money. And <clears throat> one of the things we found is a, they got confused on uh, how their capital should go. And, and we felt like we said, you know, you've got two kinds of capital. You need to 
understand protection, which is have your base capital on one side, which is basically no touchy money. I mean, you know, it can't go anywhere. And then have on this side your investment capital. And we found a lot of people when they come into money, they 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 think that and they do have a lot of money, but they forget it can go over real quickly. And we try to get them in mode where they realize, hey, there is a survival mechanism here. And that part of it is the base capital. And, and for somebody like myself, who grew up extremely poor, okay, uh, you learn that the hard way. <laughs> but as you get more money in life, you know, you have to do it also. You can't forget that. Well, we all three grew up extremely poor, so I feel sorry for the rest of them. <laughs> well, you know, you learn a lot. And I, I think I, a lot of people do, but I love, I love, I love success stories and and all of you, you and Bl you, really, you and Blaine and everybody else I, uh, that was on, I saw earlier when he came up, it, it was great watching that guy too. Yeah, Sandeep and uh, Randy uh, just were really bringing the lessons for everyone. Blaine, I know you uh, circle in this space a lot in empowerment and financial principles and, you know, building people's long-term wealth. Uh, you know, You've been around a little longer than me and seen the ebbs and flows of finance through athletes and estate planning. Uh, what are some of the questions you have or things that you've seen uh, to talk about with Ted? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that, that question is actually addressed to you, Ted. He, he called my called out my name. Oh, no, no, I meant, no, I meant, yeah, no, to you, Blaine. I, oh. You know, I, oh. I think after doing like a hundred episodes of uh, Office Hours this week, I've lost my touch. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no worries, no worries. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the yeah, money's energy. I mean, that that yeah, David and I both kind of play with that concept uh, a lot, and that's been my experience. It it does it ebbs and flows just like any other form of energy, and it's its utility is in what I can actually. Uh, do with it and what I can actually create with it. So with the, the uh, specifically with the athletes, you know, young, young guys or young women that come into all of a sudden a boatload of money. That's what it seems like to them. It's a boatload of money. How do you, how do you work with them? And I know the Oxbow principles actually come into play with this, but how do you actually work with them from a mindset perspective so that they can begin to integrate in the way that they actually live? The fact that money is a vehicle to good, and it's not intended for accumulation necessarily. We've got our base, but it's not. It's not necessarily intended for accumulations. It's 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 intended for distribution, and so how do you actually get that that concept of uh, generative distribution in place with them? You know what we do, uh, Blaine. Is I, I really got that from helping uh, foster kids over the last twenty five years. And I, a lot of these, a lot of the athletes we've helped, you know, they came from similar circumstances a lot yeah. of times. And what I try to do, the very best I try to do is say, look, I want you to trust me. I know there's been a lot, not a lot of people in your life you could trust, but I want to, I want to show you some things here and I'll show <clears throat> examples to them of how you change, a, change somebody else's life. And I try to, and I've got examples and I show them examples and say, look, if you really want to have a legacy, look, you're a great ball player. Great athlete. You know what? 20 years from now, 50 years from now, they won't even know what your name is. 
And yeah. so you want to leave a legacy, a living legacy that will help people. And you can take, you know, we've had some really large contracts we've talked to people about. Sometimes we don't get the business, but what I try to tell them is look, that legacy part is very important because I said, there's not many things you can leave passing through this world, but you can leave that. You can change somebody's life. And if you change somebody's life, believe me, man or woman, you're changing the world. Yeah, we, we used to have that exact conversation, you know, with all of our athletes at Lee Steinberg. We require them to give back, uh, have a purpose or a cause to give back to understand what legacy was. We also, you know, I remember uh, Warren Moon, my business partner, I with Cam Newton, and he had signed his 23 million guaranteed uh, when he was drafted. And he said, you know, Mr. Meltzer, what would you do? And I said, look, you should put half of them into annuities or I put half of it into annuities or IULs, a guaranteed return for the rest of your life with a tax benefit and the ability to leverage it and borrow against it and create a margin there and hedge that interest. And he said, why half? I said, because when you lose the other half doing what everybody else tells you to do, you're going to be thanking Mr. Meltzer when you're 30 years old instead of bankrupt, like 75% of the NFL stars that we've had that don't create foundations, don't create legacies, and don't create a guarantee annuity. I wanted to finish up by asking about your legacy. Uh, I know you have built a multi-million dollar company. More importantly, you've made billions of dollars for other people with the Oxbile principles. But most important to me, you have Foster Angels of South Texas, uh, where you have placed over 33,000 foster kids in Central Texas in homes. Uh, this is what I call planting seeds under trees that you may never sit under uh, a legacy and impact that can be uh, incalculable. And uh, why is it so important to you uh, to place foster kids and what legacy do you want to leave? Well, you know, David, uh, foster children uh, are, are the children that are forgotten. You know, we talk, and believe me, I have a heart for this too, but we have talked about migrant children and and children of various sorts, but we never, we forget about foster children because they're words of the state. And uh, basically I, I founded the two largest foster child foundations in Texas, but we just started another one this month, matter of fact, called Advocates for Foster Children. But the reason it meant a lot to me is I was, I was, I, I, would, I wouldn't say I was unloved as a child, but I was certainly neglected as a child and not anything to the extent of foster children. And I just, I, my heart goes out to all of them. I've been around them. I started uh, uh, working uh, with them uh, about 27 or 28 years ago. And my heart goes out to them because they're forgotten. And you, if you can't, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, our, our motto for that is uh, change their thinking, change their life. And yes. uh, that's, what we, that's what we try our very best to do at Foster Angels. Well, you're doing an extraordinary job. You are a compassionate capitalist. We certainly are just honored that you are here. Thank you for all you do for the rich and the poor. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an important thing to do because the rich also give to the poor. If we can keep their money as well and inspire them to give back as you have to so many throughout your amazing career. Thank you for the legacy, your living legacy that you have. Ted Oakley. Managing partner at Oxbow Advisors, oxbowadvisors.com. Uh, we posted it right up there. Ted, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ted. Ted.
Love talking with you. Love your work. Nice. Keep it up. Thank you. All right, my friend. How you holding up there, buddy? I'm good. We have uh, three more episodes to film today, and then I got a speech yeah. tomorrow down in San Diego with Marshall Falk and pick up my son from camp. I will tell you the nicest thing about uh, filming and, and keeping so active with my normal schedule and the additional, uh, you know, 12, 12 episodes or whatever the heck we're doing. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't miss my, my son who's at summer camp, and I thought uh, that would be a, a big void for me. So it's been a, a nice distraction from the most important things uh, in, in my life. Uh, and so that was well planned. If you have a very active week, go ahead, send your kids to camp so you don't miss them. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure looking forward to picking him up on Saturday. Uh, he's looking forward to being picked up too. I know. Awesome. Well, what's your, what's your takeaway for the day? Uh, the takeaway, uh, I mean, if we go just down the line with the three, uh, that we had on today, um, you know, David, I, I, I come back to this just about every time, you know, we, we do this summary and the, 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 the quality and, and nature of the relationships that we create uh, literally determine the success that we have in our lives. Uh, yeah, I, I come from the position that there's nobody out there but me. And if I'm not taking care of those out there in the way that I would take care of me, I'm probably not going to be successful. And, and just, you know, literally going, you know, Ted, you know, just you know, with what he's doing with the foster kids, uh, Randy, just the experience structure that he you know, has in place, you know, in, in embedded in, in, the, in the stores. And then, you know, with Sandeep, just, yeah, the way that he keeps himself whole in the face of such adversity. Yeah, that whole thing about got to take care, got to take care, got to take care. And uh, if, if we're taking care, life's going to be pretty good. Yeah, very good. And. You know, when you talk about legacy, my takeaway is the quality of the relationships uh, that we have through office hours. You know, as yeah. I go through this week and the billionaires, the millionaires, entrepreneurs, the celebrities, athletes, entertainers, all who step up on the TV show to share their wealth of knowledge, to give back uh, with incredible energy, entertainment yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, at 5 a.m. here on the West Coast, which we both are. Um, to, you know, go ahead and continue what built that TV show, uh, this, you know, digital platform that we created for everyone so that everyone can share. And then the people that show up, the, the, these are world renowned, right? Yes, Sandeep has $2 billion startups back to back. If anyone doesn't know Droom, you, you don't understand business. Randy Peich, you know, the PGA Superstore, one of the big success stories you know, during COVID of how to mm -hmm. look at your skills, knowledge and desires, align them synergistically, what's doing well today, what's stable today, and then also align with what's doing well in the future. And of course, Ted Oakley, for almost my entire lifetime, yeah. you know, has been creating a legacy and giving back, not only giving back himself, but empowering others, wealthy people, athletes, people who have inherited money are probably two of the biggest categories of wealth uh, mm -hmm. to give back, to create a legacy, uh, to be compassionate capitalists. So, uh, I want to thank you. My takeaway yeah. is simply, we are blessed to build these quality relationships here on office hours and allow ourselves not only to transmit and amplify those lessons of legacy, uh, and empowerment, 
uh, an inspiration and aspiration to, to all. So that's my takeaway for the day. I certainly appreciate just so everyone knows plane came down, flew down while they have it missed as everybody else in the summer, a bunch of uh, personal and professional obligations and spent uh, enormous amount of time as a world thought leader, not only being on the show, but helping everyone. We had an immense amount of people that uh, he was helping in the interim between the sets and between the shooting. So Blaine, learn blainebartlett.com uh, forward slash LMM, the, the uh, mindset mastermind by Blaine. If you haven't reached out to him, you should. Thank you, Blaine, though, for all your mentorship and friendship uh, and all you do for other people. David, my my uh, my pleasure. You are a true mensch uh, in the in the best best way that that word can be uh, used. I, I love being down there. Love working with uh, the team this uh, this week. And this show is just kick ass. I mean, yeah. it really is. It really is. I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah. Having been on the inside of it, shooting it, so I can't wait yeah. to see what we did. And it brought it brought out the, the Blaine I knew being live, right? It, it's one thing to put this guy onto a digital format, but Blaine Bartlett live. He's been on stages for almost as long as I've been alive. Not to age the young man, but oh my God, he comes to life uh, on set. So thank you so much. Send my love to Cynthia and your guests. I appreciate you. You bet, my friend. Love you. Best love to Julie you. and you give Miles a big hug. I will. All right, everyone. This is Office Hours. We're coming out with Office Hours, the TV show on Bloomberg. This fall on October 9th is the first episode. October 9th. Write it down in your book. It may appear someday. Uh, thank you to all of our fabulous guests. Uh, we have training tomorrow, Clubhouse tomorrow. We got more uh, filming to do today. Speaking in with Marshall Falk on Friday as well uh, with his big event. And remember, most importantly, everybody, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.